This is Four People with Bishop Rob Wright. Welcome to Four People with Bishop Rob Wright. I'm your host, Melissa Rao. This podcast is a conversation on the Four Faith Weekly Devotional sent out every Friday. You can find a link in this week's Four Faith and a link to subscribe to Four Faith in the episode description. Bishop, it's good to be with you. We're going to talk about Moses and the burning bush. And not so much about Moses today, but but really about who God is and 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 how God works in our lives. And I I'm in the beginning of your devotional, you you call out the part where Moses asks God, What is your name? And God says, I am that I am. You then say it's kind of like how God occupies past and future at the same time and works both sides of the street to accomplish God's purpose. That's a powerful statement because I'm curious what both sides of the street means to you because it brings up a lot of things in my mind. Right. Well, um, first, good to be with you. Yeah. I mean, I'm so glad to have a conversation about God. Um, what worries me so much uh, is, is that in the church, uh, we don't talk about God enough. Um, we talk a lot about ourselves and it, it worries me that, that, that folks have uh, a big church and a small God, right? Uh, in the way that we spend our time talking about God. And so here again, Moses' story positions us to talk about God because the, the subject, uh, the protagonist of the story of Exodus is actually not Moses. It's God. It's God working through Moses, a, a, a stutterer, a, a felon, um, uh, someone who's running away. Uh, and because of God's outreach and intervention, love and kindness and power, that we actually get the exodus. And so I'm, I'm so happy to be talking uh, about, about God. Um, you know, Walter Brueggemann, uh, Professor Walter Brueggemann is, 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 uh, is the person who has talked very eloquently about the, the God who works both sides of the street. What that means is, is that God can use anything to bring about God's purposes. I like to say that God can use gold, uh, sorry, can use garbage to make gold. God can use sin to make holiness. God can use a cross, uh, the lynching tree, to make life. And so at, at God's disposal, everything is at God's disposal, right? And God can wring righteous purposes out of anything. And so there is no situation that God can't uh, improve with whatever the starting construction materials, uh, you know, are in, in front of God. And so this is this is why God is worthy of, of of praise. Is that because nothing is too hard for God, as the Bible says? Uh, and so, I want to talk about God and how God shows up and how God exerts God's self and how Moses is invited to be a part of this outsized God's intervention in the world. Um, I think that one of the things that COVID nineteen has done, uh, and this is without being disparaging of anybody and anything, is that it has revealed for many of us, that we have been worshiping a domesticated, building-bound God. And we must remember, and maybe uh, the silver lining of of COVID-19 will be for some of us, that God is bigger than the church. God loves the church, God is in the church, but God is bigger than the church. Church and God are not the same thing. And so we might want to use this time as we are worshiping online and are fasting from some of our regular practices to think about what does it mean to worship God in spirit and in truth? 
beyond the trappings uh, of our religious traditions? How can we get closer to the one who is faithful, who intervenes, who changes family trees and narratives and makes people walk away from wealth and take up the work on behalf of nobodies and no ones. So, so that's is why I think uh, we should be talking about God because all the transformation, the possibility for transformation and enhanced and enlarged imagination is with God. Um, only really small benefits uh, are the yield of moralizing, uh, condemning, judging, shaming, guilting. Uh, there's only small things to be won by you and I talking in terms of being good people. I'm no, I don't want to be a good person, <laughs> so to speak, <laughs> and, I, and I'm not looking to preach to good people. What I'm hoping for is, is that you and I are partnering with God, and we're talking about a God who calls us to futures that are bigger than you and I could create with all of our goodness and good intentions. This is what's alive in this story, that God can do anything if you and I would simply say yes. Moses walks away with a yes. He has an encounter with God, and he says yes, and that changes everything in his life, right? So it's not just about um, going to church and saying our quiet prayers and all that. All those things are good and holy, don't get me wrong. But when you say yes to God, well, Baby, strap in. Oh, because, man. <laughs> because now, now you have decided to live a life that is other-centered, which means you might love people that you formerly did not love. Uh, your, your appetite for hate will go down. Your appetite for generosity will go up. You'll see in other sibling. You'll see injustices that you previously veiled your eyes to now with new uh, a sort of vividness, and you'll have a deeply unsatisfying feeling in your gut about the wrongs in the world, and you'll want to do something about it. When we do God, uh, when we sort of uh, say hello to God in that way, that's what happens. Can church help? Of course. But Moses sets out this model for us, which is God first. Who is God? And if I get closer to who is God, who does the Bible say God is? That is pure nitroglycerin. <laughs> I, you uh, used a term construction materials earlier. And sometimes I wonder if we in the church, in the pews, consider ourselves to be extraordinary because we made ourselves. We're now at church. We're the chosen ones. <laughs> like we've, we've gone through all that stuff. Yet it's the ordinary that God does so much with. And I'm wondering about the ordinary. What does God see? In ordinary, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't. I don't know. <laughs> what God, I don't. I don't know what God sees. You know, I was watching. Here, here, how about this for a reference? I was. Uh, I was watching uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark the other day, and it, it was the. There, there's so many of them, and it was the one about the Holy Grail, the Chalice of Christ, and this quest to find the Chalice of Christ. And of course, it's always set up with the Nazis as the bad guys, and of course they are, but. Um, how this this Nazi archaeologist walked into this most holy chamber and chose, you know, the wrong cup. He chose the opulent cup with the rubies and the emeralds and made of fine gold, etc. 
and 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 he chose wrong. Uh, and then, of course, Indiana Jones walks in, and he remembers that uh, uh, that Jesus was a carpenter. And so he he looks among all this wonderful finery, and he finds the cup that looks like it belongs to a carpenter. He chooses that cup, and that's the right cup. And so I guess this is what's extraordinary about God is that we feel the need to decorate uh, and to make opulent, and all that's fine. I mean, really, all that's fine. But one has to marvel at God's ability to delight in the simple, in the plain, in the true, in the chipmunk, in the tree, in the whale, in the ant, in the in the in the river, in the creek. I mean, these are the, these these simple things. And, and and what would it be like for us to peel back whatever we need to peel back and begin to be more present in moments and delight in those things that are simple and enduring and holy? You know, I, I think that's why I like to hang around older, older folks. You know, they're octogenarians. I, when I was a, a rector of a church, I used to love to hang out with some of the, uh, the cranky uh, o- older folks because, you know, they had already been to the parade, right? They had already gotten a T-shirt. Now they knew what was, what was really important was family and God and celebration and health and strength and laughing and friends, right? And so I sort of, I sort of, I think God is like that. I mean, think about how God shows up in this story. God shows up as fire in a bush. It's not a fire in a redwood. It's not fire in a mountain, right? You know, and 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 Jesus mirrors this, doesn't he? He comes riding into town on a donkey, right? <laughs> I, had, I had a theologian friend of mine one time who said, you know. We know that Jesus wasn't an Episcopalian because he came riding into town, not on a steed, not on a stallion, but a donkey. And he said, most Episcopalians look at the, that story and say, how tacky is God? You know, but 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 there is a beauty in the simplicity. And, and I think that God does this also to send us a signal about who God is. Right. I, I wish that we we preached three points about God in sermons more often. Right. Because I think that's where life can be made. But if you and I just stay at one level and moralize and, and, and talk in terms of political correctness and, you know, uh, these sorts of things, then we don't set the stage for transformation. The conversation is about God. And when that enacts, when that sort of uh, invigorates the imagination, it's funny. People's chins physically look up. They move up and they begin to wonder, what would it be like to live a faithful life with God? a bigger life than I even imagined for myself. This happens to Moses in an instant, but it also took his entire life to happen as well. My guess is that Moses was in the temple or some, some kind of temple his whole life. You know, my guess is that Moses sort of said his prayers or mouthed his prayers or mumbled his prayers. And while he was in the temple, he probably thought a lot about brunch, just like many of us, right? But then all of a sudden, this thing is real. Dr. King had a similar uh, story. It wasn't a burning bush. It was a burning kitchen table. And I don't know if you know that story, but um, the civil rights movement, or at least the bus boycott, had just gotten off the ground and he had gotten to a really hard place. And he was raised in the front pew of his daddy's church. And God was, you know, God was always there and conversations about God was always there. But 
in the midst of this hardship, now he prays a prayer. And he, he, he has all this in the sermon. He prays a prayer now in the middle of this hardship. and says, you know, mommy and daddy are back in Atlanta and I'm, I'm over here in Montgomery. And God, I just, I want to see you for who you are. And, you know, tell me that you're real. Let me know that you're real. And he hears that voice. And, you know, even though he's been in church his entire life now, all of a sudden, he's got cosmic assurance that creates, you know, what we would say is sort of local endurance. And, and that changes everything for him. He could have given up. Um, so, so we've got to talk about God, and we've got to decide that we're going to create um, conversations with great nuance about who God is, as told to us from Scripture, because we trust that that is what is um, the best, uh, what do I want to say, accelerant for faithfulness and transformation. Well, we'll talk more about God when we're back with four people after a short break. If you're enjoying Four People with Bishop Rob Wright, we encourage you to subscribe. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Bishop Rob Wright. Welcome back to Four People with Bishop Rob Wright. So Bishop, you kind of alluded to the fact that we don't talk enough about God, especially in the pulpit. <laughs> well, <Yeah. laughs> why not? Wow. Yeah. I mean, uh, I'll, I'll give you some thoughts, uh, uh, just a few thoughts about that. Number number one, God is messy. Um, God is messy. Uh, God, God, we, we love the notion of God being with us, that we, we were made in God's image, uh, that God loves us all, that we're all redeemable. We love all of that, but we don't love the other part of it. And the other part of it is, is that God is God and God can't be co-opted. God won't be domesticated. God can't be controlled. God can't be appeased. God has God's own mind. Uh, God is clear about what God wants. God has biases. God is biased against, you know, uh, in favor of the oppressed, in favor of those on the fringes, in favor of the poor, uh, in favor of the widow, in favor of the orphan, in, in favor of the um, indigent, in favor of the immigrant. Uh, this is all clear in Scripture, and so, 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 and we're also afraid that that, uh, as a friend of mine used to pray, uh, God, who we love, but are afraid to love. Uh, too much. So we love the lucky rabbit's foot God, the God who's only here to make our dreams and wishes come true. I, I you know, I call it the, the three wish genie God or the, <laughs> you know, or, or we love theology that leads us to the Santa Clausification of God. But, but the God who asks something of us to live differently, to be other centered, um, to share well, that God is dangerous because that, that God, um, you know, uh, we might end up being a fool in the eyes of people if we follow that God. Um, we may walk away from fame and success and celebrity and peer acceptance and, and sober notions of appropriateness because of that God. And so that God is very dangerous. Um, this God requires faith, invites faith. Um, and this God invites, and we'll, I'll use a, a four-letter word. Here's a, here's a four-letter four letter word in modern parlance. This God wants obedience. 
right? The Bible says that obedience is better than sacrifice. This God can't be tipped uh, into submission. This God can't be, you know, can't write checks where this God will stop making God's request. And so that God is a very dangerous God. That God, uh, that God is above politics and wants to be proclaimed above politics. That God won't be a slave and won't be a pawn um, in national civil religion. Um, this God will table turn, as Jesus enacts, and as we see in the Exodus story. Um, this God has a, has a beef, has a problem with haughtiness and arrogance. Again, so I, I hope I'm, I'm making this very, this God will call whoever this God will call. This God will call women. This God will call people of another color. This God will, will call foreigners. This God will call people of low-born low estate. This God will call people who are poor, right? So I, I hope I'm making the case that it's no wonder, right, <laughs> that we don't want to talk about God. Um, because if we start talking about God, things could change. And we might have to give up some stuff that that we really are enamored with, Um you know, the, 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 if you look at our country and our national sort of history, especially around race in America, we created out of the biblical God, a God that said that there were two kinds of people, right? Uh, even though we're all fearfully, wonder, wonderfully made, according to the Bible, and all made in the image of God, right? What we did with that was we decided to create now the world in our image, and and then we, we then we sort of wrote into religion our smallness uh, and our bias and our misogyny and our racism et cetera et cetera, et cetera our xenophobia, uh, but God is bigger than all of that, um, and so and so this is why God is is, is awfully awfully scary, um, and then I think that you know it, and I'll speak for the Episcopal Church too. Um, we've done a funny thing with God in, in many mainstream Protestant denominations. We've, we've relegated God talk uh, to the, the quiet, the intimate, and the personal, um, which is not the same thing as proclamation, right? I'm not saying that you and I need to be standing on the rooftop shouting or standing on the corner with a floppy Bible. Um, but at the same time, why is it that so many of us are so coy about talking about the very one who we say is ultimate. Um, how is it that it's easier to recommend a restaurant or a movie than to recommend the God who, who we say is deserving of all the praise and all the glory in our lives? It's a curious thing. So I want to talk about that. I want to talk about identity. The other day, my daughter's, my, my middle child's uh, just turned 16 and you can tell she was clearly wrestling with, you know, who she is, what she's about and all that stuff. And I got a little cliche where she rolled her eyes at me and I said, well, it's not really so much about who you are, but who is you are. And that's the, you know, the cliche line, right? But it's actually not that cliche after listening to you. <laughs> right? No, it's a great line, man. It's a great line. So, so I said to her, I said, you know, you got to remember who is you are. So that leads me to my last and final question, Bishop. I'm wondering if you can share any ideas on ways that we might begin to put God at the center of our lives. Yeah, I mean, two things, right? So two things. Here's what I would say to folks. I would say to people, uh, as I say to myself, as I say to my own children, you know, let's 
first and foremost, read some of these wonderful narratives slow. And, and, and as you're reading them slow, you know, what I, what I do personally, I'll tell you my, one of my own practices, I write down the character features of God that show up in a particular story. And, and, and I think what this will do is increase our lexicon and our facility about talking about who God is. If we don't do this, if we don't develop this practice, then what happens is, is that we default to talking about Moses when the story is really about God, right? We make God the extra to the, to the movie and make Moses the star. And, and that, down that road is that we end up just talking about um, correcting behavior. Um, but that's sort of a bankrupt enterprise if it, doesn't, if, it doesn't, if it isn't downstream of real transformation based on who God is. And so, you know, I like Psalm 8, when I consider the heavens, the stars, the suns, and their pl- the moons, and the uh, planets and their courses, I wonder, who am I? And, and what am I that God would visit me and care about me, right? And so that's not, a, that's not a, a psalm about that you have no worth relative to the heavenly bodies. It, it's, it's, a, it's a psalm about you have so much worth, and that this person is absolutely blown, blown away in a moment when they consider the heavens and consider that God regards me also. And so when we begin to think about who God is, that moves our feet. So I, I think where we are right now in our nation's history, right now where we are with COVID, now is a great time for a second honeymoon for some of us and maybe a first honeymoon for some of us uh, with God. Now's the time to get back to God. Some of us have gotten so churchified that we've forgotten God. We've forgotten the reason the church exists. The church does not exist for the church's sake. The church exists to make Jesus Christ known. That's it. Without that purpose, it's just a sad nonprofit. That's it. It exists for one extraordinary and unique purpose to make Christ known, to reconcile people to God and reconcile us to one another. That's extraordinary. That's something to give one's life for. But other than that, it's a click. It's a click. So what what God is wanting to animate in us, you and I have to, and so I would say, I would say maybe we need to also interrogate personally, uh, do we have God curiosity? And I used to be a chaplain in another life. And man, let me tell you something. I have been pastor to people who are really, really smart, accomplished people with great degrees, et cetera. And I have been a school chaplain. And I can tell you the school kids ask the better questions about God. They ask the, they, they're curious about God. And, and, and what has happened to some of us that we're no longer curious? God, God's not settled. God is above all of our intellects and all of our learnings, all of us. No one has sort of got it thought through yet. And so, so what happened with the God curiosity? And, and, and maybe we ought to pray about that. Maybe that's something, God, you know, I just, you know, I'm just not that curious about who you are. But there's some part of me that I know I need to know more about you. Lord, so will you enliven my heart, my mind, my imagination? I'd like to know more about you. You know, you're an acquaintance right now for me, God. You're not my friend, but I'd like a friendship with you. 
you know, that, that can be a prayer. That can be a starting point. That can be a new beginning for some of us, right? And then I would say maybe thirdly, read people who want to talk about God, right? Find books that, you know, there's an old, old book, a little, little skinny paperback by a guy. I think his name was J.B. Phillips. And the title of the book was Your God is Too Small. And I think that we really, many of us, have a, a too small God. And, 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 you know, with all due respect to everybody, some of us are languishing right now uh, in, in our present circumstances, um, not because we're not decent folks and giving it the old college try, but because we don't have good fuel. We don't have rocket fuel. And the rocket fuel that propels you through times like this, not only for your own sake, but for the good of everyone, is to have, you know, an outsized no notion of who God is. I'm not talking about being some happy, clappy, you know, sort of sunshine all the time kind of guy or gal. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about people made for the deep water. And when we have a life with God, you and I end up being people who are made for the deep water. And that's our value add to the world. Excellent. Well, Bishop, you kind of just like brought it home. I just want to make sure you don't have any final thoughts for our listeners. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I'll, I'll just tell you, I'll just tell you, I'm so glad that, that uh, when I was at, at a beginning point in my journey that I had a faithful, I had a faithful uh, gentleman, happened to be a priest of the church, uh, just say to me that if I'll take a step toward God, God will take two steps towards me. And uh, I just, I'm so grateful for that faithful and sage advice that if I just walk towards God with a, with a sincere curiosity, um, that, that I would, I would begin a relationship with God in an, in a new way. And, and that, that has been, uh, I, I can't express the gratitude that I have, uh, to that gentleman way back then, um, for really setting me right, helping me understand that church has its role, a blessed role but the church is not God and that you and I love and serve God. It's great imagery. Thank you, Bishop. And thank you listeners for listening to four people with Bishop Rob Wright. You can keep up with us on Instagram and Facebook at Bishop Rob Wright. Please subscribe, leave a review, and we'll be back with you next week.